All right, so we are in Genesis chapter 30 as we continue our study on Wednesday nights with different pastors teaching through the book of Genesis. And we've come to chapter 30, and we're looking at the life of Jacob and his family. And, you know, we have, uh, these guys are with Bibles if anybody needs one. If you don't own a Bible, please make that yours and let us know so we can replace it. Genesis chapter 30. And we're in this section where we have these characters of Jacob and Laban and Rachel and Leah. And you remember that Jacob was a conniver? <laughs> he, he got in all kinds of trouble with his brother and then he had to flee his area and what mother sent him away to go find a wife and he you know he was he was a real manipulator this fellow Jacob but he he met his match in a fellow by the name of Laban and remember that Laban hits it's his uncle but he goes to Laban and he says I love your daughter Rachel his cousin he falls in love with her first time he sees her he plants a kiss on her I don't know if that was acceptable, but they did it. <laughs> now, maybe it was just kissing cousins. Who knows? But he, he goes and, he, and he's like, Rachel, I love your daughter, Rachel. I want to marry her. And Laban says, oh, sounds good to me. Work for me for seven years, and you can have her as wife. And Jacob worked for seven years. And the Bible tells us that it was as a, as a day. It was like nothing to him. Because of his love for her. And then the wedding day comes. And he's very excited. And they have a feast with these weddings. It's a big deal. It's eight days long and all these things. And they, they bring the bride and they go into the chamber, the wedding chamber, the tent. And he wakes up in the morning and he goes, ah, ah. <laughs> who's, who's this? And it was Leah, the older sister. And, and there's an interesting play on words in here, and, and there's different interpretations of this, and I'm not going to be dogmatic about this, but it, it says that she, she had weak eyes. Another translation of that says, she hurts your eyes. <laughs> so maybe that's what it means, you know. <laughs> but he ends up with Leah as his wife, and this is his first wife, and but he still wants Rachel as a wife. Now, once you have a wife, you should keep one. Let me just say. It's a good idea to stick with one wife. The Bible says the man who desires the office of an overseer is the husband of one wife. So if you want to be a leader in the church, don't get married twice. <laughs> now, in those days, obviously, there was a lot more of these multiple marriages. And, and by the way, when we get into this whole thing of this dysfunctional family we're going to look at, I want you to note something that's very important because when we look at the Bible, sometimes people think the Bible presents a rosy picture of this lily white religion and background and all these things. It doesn't do that at all. In fact, it gives you all the hair on here. Everything's here. It tells you the truth about the way these people were. And that's an indication that it is the truth. Because if it was somebody just trying to tell a story to make it all look lily white, these stories that we're reading tonight would not be in here. You wouldn't have multiple lives and, and conniving and manipulation going on. It would present this wonderful family. So he got Leah, and he is deceived. Now remember, he's the deceiver. He deceived his brother. He stole his birthright from his brother. He stole the blessing from his brother. He manipulated those things. Now God wanted him to have those things, but God didn't want him to manipulate to get them. And God would have given them to him anyway. So he gets Rachel as his wife after seven more years of working for Laban. And he loves Rachel, but Rachel at this point is not able to give him children. So Leah has four sons born to her, and they are the first ones 
of the lineage here where we see Jacob's sons, the 12 sons. He's going to end up with 12. These first four come from Leah. And one of them, by the way, is a very important one. Several of them are very important, but one is Levi. And that's not the head of Levi genes. That's Levi from the Levites, the priesthood. And so Judah then also gives birth, and, and he gives birth to Judah, and that from him comes King David, the greatest king in the history of Israel. And then ultimately, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, comes through the lineage from Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah, right? And all through, Leah, he, she was the one who was unloved. In fact, the wording there for unloved really is she was hated. She was, she was hated. She was mistreated. She was the, if you will, ugly stepsister, you know, kind of thing. And God loves the unloved. Because he used Leah. He blessed Leah with children first, and he brought the lineage of the Messiah through Leah. And by the way, at the end of his life, when Jacob is dying, after Leah, both Rachel and Leah are dead, when Jacob dies, he says, bury me by Leah. Interesting. Maybe he grew to love her. It seems as though, right? But Jacob here is reaping what he has sown, and Leah's not loved, and we'll see how Rachel is barren, and we see that this far from perfect family is used incredibly by God. And that's really part of the theme of this whole chapter. You end up with four different women, 12 sons, and at least one daughter, likely more than one daughter, but there's a rivalry that happens between these moms, these 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 wives. So we begin in verse 1. It says, Now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister, that being Leah, and said to Jacob, Give me children or else I die. It's a good way to start a marital conversation. <laughs> you know, I just did a premarital counseling. I haven't done premarital counseling in over 10 years, but there's a special couple that's getting married very soon. I won't tell you who they are, Phil and Debbie. But, uh, <laughs> and, and they're a very unique story. If you don't know their story, they're sitting right here in the white shirt and the, I don't know what color that is, greenish sort of. But they're, they're right here, and you should talk to them. Get, get a line started afterwards, because they got a story that will blow your mind. But I was giving them some counsel the other day, and we are talking about marriage. And the, the, the subject was communication. And I should have gone to this verse and said, this is the way you don't communicate. You don't start your communication with your husband when you're not, you haven't had any kids and you want kids and you say, give me children lest I die. You know, she, she kind of like, I'm, I'm going to croak if you don't give me a kid, you know. And then, of course, that starts Jacob down the road. Jacob says Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel. So we got an we intense fellowship going on right now. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of, your, of the womb? <laughs> He's like, hey, it ain't my fault. I got four kids. <laughs> you know, it's a dangerous thing when you demand things from God. And that's kind of what she's doing. It makes things very difficult when we're demanding things from God and then also when we have demands within marriage. When you have these great demands and, and, and maybe they're demands of which the other person has no control over. You know, marriage has got to be about a relationship of listening and, and caring and this could have started a lot better. And maybe if it started better, it would have ended better. But it seems that Rachel is a, what I would call a bit high maintenance. Maybe even a drama queen. If you don't give me kids, I'm going to die. She's filled with envy toward her sister. 
And she stirs her husband up in anger. Now, he, he, he had it in him to be angry. I mean, obviously, if he's angry, it's not her fault. Because remember, when you get angry, when you get envious and angry, it comes from in you, right? Even though she's the one that's envious, and she says it to him, and he gets angry, well, he didn't have to get angry. You know, you know we do this sometimes, right? The other person does something, and, well, you make me so mad. Is that an accurate statement? Actually, it's not. They don't make you mad. You're already mad. <laughs> they just pushed your button. And, and I know this. You've all got buttons. We all have these buttons, right, that get pushed by people. And our spouses have an ability to push our buttons in ways no one else does. Isn't that true, those of you who are married? Amen? Is anybody getting an amen for that? My wife's saying amen back there. And she says, give me children lest I die. And she's going to get children eventually. And she will actually die having the second one. Isn't that interesting? And, and Jacob, you know, he could have handled this differently. But what he says is not untrue. He says, am I in the place of God? In other words, you, if you have a problem that you're barren, Rachel, your problem isn't with me. I clearly have shown that I can produce. <laughs> Your problem is with God. And many times in relationships, we do this. We, we lash out at someone else about what's going on in and around our life when our problem really is that God hasn't met something that we believe to be our need. And so our, our issue when we point it to others sometimes, it isn't really toward others. It's really the Lord. And we really should be going to the Lord with that issue. Not demanding of the Lord, not commanding the Lord, because you, 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 won't, you'll, you won't do well doing that. But going to the Lord in prayer. We don't see any of that in these chapters. We don't see them being spiritual at all. They're very carnal, this group. I know you guys are never like that, but these guys are carnal. And, you know, you got to admit, Jacob could have handled this a little better, right? <laughs> he didn't have to s snap back at her. And that's sort of what you get in the, in, in, you know, we don't know the tone here, right? We, we read the page, but the tone doesn't seem good when he says, am I in the place of God? You know, you can imagine. <laughs> what are you thinking? He answers her envy with anger. And he should have and could have brought comfort to her. And listen, we're all guilty of this kind of thing, aren't we? Someone says, you know, your husband or your wife says something to you, and you're like, and it's kind of like this, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and you hear that, and, you're, and you think you hear a tone. And you're like, well, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you're going to go back at them, you know. My wife and I have those. Like, sometimes she'll say something, and I'll say, well, what do you have to say it like that for? And she'll go, I didn't say it like that. I just said it. I'll be like, well, it sounded like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she's like, well, it wasn't that. And I'll say, oh, okay, what was it then? <laughs> so verse three, so she said, here is my maid Bilhah. Go into her and she will bear a child on my knees that I also may have children by her. This is a plan. And, you know, the way they treated this was if she had a son by her maid, it was, her, it was a slave, that that child would be considered Rachel's child. That was the tradition, that was the custom. When a woman was barren, this would happen. And again, we note the truth of the word of God being presented here, but not necessarily God approving of it. Understand that. You know, we see multiple wives, and we see these things this way. It doesn't mean God's saying, this is the way I want it. Do you think that God couldn't have produced the 12 sons of, of Jacob in a different way? Certainly he could. He could have produced them all through Rachel or all through Leah. 
But these guys, they're kind of like us. You know, they got to help God out a little bit. And I wonder where they learned any of this, you think? You remember Grandpa Abraham? What did he do? He's promised the child. He's promised that Isaac is going to come. But what does he do? And then his wife's right in the middle of it. Hey, this isn't happening. I'm getting old. You don't look so good. (laughs) You're drying up. I'm drying up. I don't know that we're going to make this uh, promise. So let's help God with the promise. Here's my maidservant, Hagar. Go into her and have a child and he'll be the promised child. So this is, this is not something new to them. They, they've seen this, this before. But instead of trusting God and seeking God, they come up with their own solution. Have you ever been guilty of that? You know that God's leading you and you, you sense the, the, the direction of God, but it's not happening. So you start to maneuver the situation. You start to massage something and somehow make it, let's move it along. I mean, God can't, I, I can't just wait for God to do it, can I? I? I think I did this in the early days of the church. When we first started the ministry, I, I, was, I was gonna have a big church. And I would try to get people to be committed The problem was I found that not everybody was as committed that I was. And so I think the people that were coming, they liked it. But then when I would try and get them committed, they'd run the other way because they'd be like, you want me to like be as committed as you. I had to learn a lot of things in those early years. But we see this mess developing. And again, God doesn't necessarily approve of the mess. He is patient and he works in the lives of his kids even though they are a mess. And he's still doing that today. Through his grace and his mercy, he's still working. And sadly, you know, it seems to me as I read this, someone could have stepped up. Someone could have stepped aside and said, let me seek the Lord. It could have been Rachel. It could have been Jacob. It could have been Billah. Someone in this story, someone along the way could have said, wait a minute. Are we really hearing from God here? And you know, this happens at times where you just move along in life and you're just kind of doing what you're doing because it's what you do. And we really need to be careful and cautious to realize that God wants to lead us every day in every way. God wants to lead every area of our life. He wants to lead our relationships and he wants to lead our, our decisions about where we're gonna live and, and what we're gonna do to live and, and our job changes and, and locations and, and relationships with you know, guys and gals getting together, everything. He wants to be a part of every part of your life. And he will if you will allow him to. But these fellas, this guy, this group, this lady and this guy, they're just, well, this seems right. It kind of reminds you of Judges where it says every man did that which was right in his own eyes. They're just kind of seeing what's there and okay, we'll just go this way. And so she gave him Bilhah, her maid, as wife, and Jacob went into her and, the, and Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Notice that Jacob doesn't put up a fight here. He doesn't say, wait, 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 wait. That's not the most moral thing here. He just does what she says. Grandpa Abraham, he did it. I guess I can do it too. He's not trusting the Lord with this either. And so Rachel said, God has judged my case. And he has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan, which means judge. And Rachel's maid, Bilhah, conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. And Rachel said, with great wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed, I have prevailed. (laughs) 
These guys are always wrestling. We're going to find Jacob gets in a wrestling match in a few chapters. <laughs> Chapter 32, Jacob wrestles with God. He never walked the same. She called his name Naphtali because it means wrestling or my wrestling. See, she's naming all of her kids, and, and Leah did the same thing. They're naming their kids after what they're experiencing. They're experiencing wrestling. That's what they did a lot of times in those days. Judge. And so she has two children. They have two children by their maidservant, Bilhah. So now instead of two moms in the home, you now have three moms in the home. Now, Now, I don't know if you know what it's like to have more. Like if you're from a broken family and you've got more than one mom and you've got these things going on, where there's divorces, and you know that brings a lot of baggage. Imagine them all living in the same home. Now you got all these boys running around, and they're all fighting with, you know, boys, they, they fight with each other. That's what they do. I fought with my brother every single day of our lives. He was four years, three and a half years younger than me. I, I, that poor guy, I hit him every day. I've repented of it. When he was about 15, 16, he, he took up wrestling. And we started going, to, and I said, okay, that's it. <laughs> I never did it again. <laughs> but I watched my grandsons. You know, my two grandsons, they're, they're 10 and 8. They can't keep their hands off each other. Imagine this house when eventually there's going to be 12 of them rolling around in the dirt. My mom's better than your mom. <laughs> you know, you imagine this going on. And here we see the rivalry continue in verse 9. When Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her to Jacob, his wife. Jacob's, he's just eating this up, you know. And Leah's maid, Zilpah, bore Jacob a son. <laughs> and it says, Leah said, a troop comes. In other words, this is a crowd now. It's getting crowded. And she calls his name Gad, which means troop. <laughs> I mean, it's, you, know, you think, I, I try to put myself there in the conversation. You know, that, that here when Rachel brought Bilhah, and, you know, okay, honey. Here's chick, okay, honey. Then Leah, well, how about this one? Ah, okay, honey. <laughs> this is a highly dysfunctional family, wouldn't you say? So if you come from a dysfunctional family, which, you know, in all honesty, we all do because all our parents were sinners. So we all come from a dysfunctional family. But if you come from a, like a highly dysfunctional family, welcome because you can see this right in the scripture you can put yourself here. And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a second son, and Leah said, I am happy, for the daughters will call me blessed. So she called his name Asher. What do you think Asher means? Happy or blessed. Now Reuben went in the days of wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. And Rachel said to Leah, again, she's just not, she's very straightforward. Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. I want mandrakes. Now mandrakes, it's, it's, a, it's a fruit that's, that's called a love fruit or a love apple. And it was believed to have some kind of help with infertility and perhaps also an aphrodisiac. And they were very valued in their culture. So again, here's Rachel demanding of her sister, give me some of your mandrakes. And there doesn't seem to be any kindness here, right? There's, she does say please. Okay, that's nice. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you've taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, 
Therefore, he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. So I'll trade you one man for a bunch of mandrakes. <laughs> That's basically what they're doing. They're negotiating for Jacob's affections, for Jacob's time with them, and for Jacob producing more children through them. Can you see the, the, the fleshly way here, the carnality here, right? This is not a lesson on how to have good marriage. This is not a lesson on how to have, how to raise a family, right? This is a lesson on how not to. Because the Bible says that husbands are to love their wives as Christ also loved the church. Now what did Christ do for the church? He laid his life down for the church. Jesus Christ, God the Son, came from heaven to earth and died on that cross and laid his life down for the church. So husbands, we're to lay our lives down for our wives. And I know many a man that say, oh man, I'll take a bullet for my wife. I'll lay my life down for her. Really, will you wash the dishes? Well, well, I, you know, that's, that's different. <laughs> no, that's actually laying your life down for her. And loving your wife, you're supposed to lead her and love her. That's what Paul taught in Ephesians chapter 5, to lead your wife and love your wife. Do you see Jacob doing any of that in this chapter? He isn't doing that with either of his wives, it seems as though. Now, he didn't know the apostle Paul, of course. <laughs> but he knew the Lord like he knew about God. He had, he had relationship with God. And again, he's not seeking the Lord. So there's this bartering going on for their affection to have more children. And Jacob came out of the field that evening and Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come in to me for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. I'm sure Jacob was like, wow. <laughs> like his head is spinning by now, I'm sure. Go be with my handmaid. Oh no, go be with my handmaid. Oh no, how about you come to me? Again, you know. And by the way, we don't know totally the gaps here of time that's going on. Some of these kids might have been born at around the same time because you've got multiple women going on, right? We know the order of the age of the children because we're told that, you know, through, through the studies, but we don't really know how much gap there was. And by the way, Jacob's pretty old by this time. He's, he's, he's probably in his 80s up there. I mean, he was in his 70s when he negotiated for Rachel. But they, they lived longer in those days. I said to some of the other, someone the other day, yeah, I'm middle-aged. Oh, really? You're going to live to 130? <laughs> and so Jacob, you know, I look at this and I think all these different women, all these different things. Jacob needed a hobby or something. He needed golf or a TV or something to, to distract his life, you know. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. So God is in this, and he is working, but it's kind of like, I look at it like God is, there's was would be God's design of the way he would or could have done all this. And then he says, well, but I'm dealing with people. So I'm going to work around this. I'm going to let this thing work its way out and play out. And the interesting thing here is Rachel manipulates to get the mandrakes, tells Leah she can have Jacob, and Leah gets pregnant first and not Rachel. Remember, she did this because she felt the mandrakes, they're going to help me get pregnant. That's what she's doing this for. It's not what Rachel bargained for, and she is likely thought her sister childbearing years were over and that even if he, she was with him, she's not going to have kids. And you got to understand that in their culture, not having children was a, was a shameful, it was a very a difficult thing for a woman. So Rachel's struggling tremendously here. 
But again, none of them seek the Lord here. And that's the theme of this is that I would say none seeks the Lord. Simply living their lives out in the flesh. And they, they mention God and, 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 and God is mentioned in here, but it's, it's not a fervent seeking of God. So Leah said, God has given me my wages because I have given my maid to my husband. So she called his name Issachar, which means hiring you or wages. Then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. And so she called his name Zebulun, which means dwelling. And afterwards she bore a daughter and called her, her name Dinah. So Leah, it seems as though she's trying to gain love through this. She's trying to gain love through relationship with her husband and having children. If she can produce children for him, then maybe he'll love me. She's bargaining for love, for affection. And unfortunately, you know, this is done with some people. You know, you struggle with affection, with love, with relationship. And so you try to do something, you try to manipulate something in order to gain that. But, you know, that kind of love and affection isn't real, is it? You know, love is only love when it's given by choice. You know, I choose to love my wife as Christ loved the church. I choose to, to, to dwell with her. And, and the Bible says that we're to dwell with understanding as with a weaker vessel. That husbands are to care for their wives in such a way to realize that God made them differently. Now, by the way, when it says weaker vessel, it doesn't mean lesser vessel. They are physically weaker most of the time. But there's this heart, this desire we should have to, to care for them, to care for their needs, to realize that there's a that we need to be softer with them. We were talking again about premarital the other day, and we we're talking about how men are sometimes harsh and women are more soft. You know, and they're, you know, my wife over the years has often said this to me, you know, what are you gonna be so harsh about? I'm like, I'm not being harsh, I'm just being frank. Even though my name is Chris, I'm being frank, you know. I'm just being just, just blunt. It's, I, it's who I am. Pray for me. I, you know, I don't have that, you know, I, you know, I once took a spiritual test, you know, where you test your, your, your gifts, and I took in compassion, I scored zero. <laughs> I, I'm just saying. I think I've grown from zero to maybe half a one, not one, but half a one, maybe. Trying to manipulate love and sometimes we even try to do this from the Lord. We try to manipulate to get love. We think somehow God loves us more if we will just do this thing. You know, if you just pray 10 hours a day, God loves you more. If you read the Bible from cover to cover in a week, God loves you more. You did your devotions. You're in the word of God. You, you went to church. You even went to more than one service in the week. Oh, God loves me more. Do you know that God loves you, period? He just loves you. Just because he wants to love you. He just wants to. For God so loved the world that he gave. We think it's us giving. It's not about us giving, it's about him giving. He gave his only begotten son. He loves us. And he wants relationship with us. And we can't manipulate that love. We can't, we can't buy that love. We can't trade for that love. We can't be good enough for the love. It's a gift of God, the grace of God. It's done through grace. It's a gift, lest anyone should boast. You can't boast about something that's been given to you. And salvation in Jesus Christ is a gift of God. 
He gives it. Relationship, he gives it. Ongoing relationship, he gives it. He offers it to us. It's available to every one of us every single day. But it's not, we don't somehow please him more because we're more dedicated or we're more, we read more, we're more you know, like we're flexing our spiritual muscles. Then, verse 22, God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened, opened her womb. So clearly she's crying out to the Lord. And she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. Do you see those words? How hurtful, how painful she, how much pain she was in? She felt like she was in reproach because I don't have any children. Again, culturally, this is the way it was. Women were treated in a whole different way in those days. And you know, Jesus really is the one who liberated women. He freed the women to become what they've become today. In every single nation where Christianity is the prevalent belief system, women have far more rights and, and, and position in society, period. It's true. She conceived, bore a son, said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph and said, the Lord shall add to me another son. Joseph means adding. And she's going to have one more son after this by the name of Benjamin. And Benjamin will be her last child and her precious young child. And we, the story of Joseph and then Benjamin is tremendous Bible stories you're going to be getting into in the coming weeks. Joseph is a picture of Jesus Christ, like in, in some ways like no one else in the Bible. But, you know, what I see in this chapter is what, a, what an incredible picture of the grace of God here. That here at the end, God remembered Rachel. She was barren all those years. She's watching children be born of three different women from her husband. And yet now God, he's gracious unto her and he says, let me give her the blessing of a child. But you know, she's not satisfied with one. <laughs> you notice as soon as she gets one, she says, and the Lord shall add to me another son. Isn't that human nature, by the way? You just get blessed with some and God, you know, you're like, okay, I want more. That's always the way it is. We're never satisfied. We have, a, we have one cookie, and what do we want? What was it that Rockefeller, one of the Rockefellers said, how much money is enough money? And he said, just a little more. Verse 25, and it came to pass, when Rachel had, had born Joseph and Jacob, that Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own place and to my country. He and Rachel had longed for a son between them, and now when they have one, Jacob says, it's time to go home. You wonder if that son had such a unique impact on Jacob where he's like, I want, I want to go home. I want to go back to my land. I want my family to know their kids. You know, grandchildren having Grandchildren now, I, I, I didn't realize that when we first, we moved to Oregon back in 1979 and we had a, a, a grandbaby on the way and, and then we had our four kids in Oregon and my parents were living here and my in-laws were living here and it was like, yeah, no big deal to me. Now, you know, if my grandkids were moving away, I'd be weeping, you know. You'd want to get back to that family and that's where he's at. And he says to Laban, give me my wives, my children, for whom I have served you. And, send, and let me go, for you know my service, which I have done for you. And Laban said to him, please stay, if I have found favor in your eyes, for I have learned 
by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. You know, Laban, it's all about Laban. <laughs> Laban's like, I kind of figured out that God has blessed me because of you, so I don't want you to leave. Hang out a while, Jake. And he said, name me your wages and I will give it. Name your price. Imagine this. Imagine that you know, you're Laban. He says, name your price and I'll, I'll pay the price. I just got to go. Seems like he'd have the upper hand on Jacob at that point, right? And so Jacob said to him, you know how I've served you and how your livestock has been with me for what you had before I came as little, was, was little and it increased to a great amount. The Lord has blessed you since my coming. And now when shall I also provide for my own house? You know, I've, I, I've done everything for you. That's your blessing. You have all this. You own everything. I'm just a worker. When am, what about me? When am I going to be able to provide for all these, these ones that God has given me? I'm kind of broke. I got four wives, 11 sons, and a daughter. <laughs> what are we doing now, right? And so he said, what shall I give you? And Jacob said, you shall not give me anything if you, if you will do this one thing for me. I will again feed and keep your flocks. And he says, okay, we recognize God's hand here, but I have an idea, Jacob says. He says, let me pass through all your flock today, removing from there all the speckled and spotted sheep and all the brown ones among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the goats. These shall be my wages. So now it was considered that the speckled and spotted were inferior because they were not as acceptable in society, right? So the, the purebreds, if you will, were the, were the solid colored white and black lambs or, or, and also goats. And so he says, we will remove all the speckled and spotted ones from the flock and only breed the purebreds. So give me these speckled and spotted and then we'll, we'll, we'll work it out. And from that, I will breed them and take the new ones that are spotted and speckled, but I don't want the other ones. So he says, so my righteousness will answer for me in time to come when the subject of my wages comes before you, every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it's with me. And Laban said, oh, that it were according to your word. Laban's like, hey, sounds like a great deal to me. He thinks he's pulling one over on Jacob. He thinks, ah, <laughs> look, the those are the good ones, and, and you're not going to have many at all. And he thinks the speckled and spotted ones will be few and far between because they're breeding among only the, the, the solid-colored ones. So there's not going to be any speckled and spotted because that's the way they always bred them. So he removed that day the male goats that were speckled and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had some white in it, and all the brown ones among the lambs, and gave them into the hand of his sons. Then he put three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. Now Jacob took for himself rods of green poplar and the almond and chestnut trees, peeled white strips in them, and exposed the white which was in the rods. And the rods which he had peeled, he set before the flocks in the gutters and in the watering troughs, where the flocks came to drink, so that they could conceive when they came to drink. Now, in this story, as we read chapter 30, we don't know why Jacob's doing this. We're going to find out in chapter 31 that he actually had a dream about this, and we'll read that at the end. But the point is, he, he seemed to have some knowledge that God gave him something here to do that seems very odd and unusual. We're going to put these rods in front of them, and when they, when they conceive, when they, they get together... It's going to produce what we needed to produce. And it seems so weird. You know, you're, you're waving a little stick in front of a lamb and say, give me speckled. <laughs> give me spotted, you know. It seems so funny. So the flocks conceived before the rods, and the flocks brought forth streaked, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face toward the streaked and, and all the brown in the flock of Laban. 
But he put the, his own flocks by themselves and did not put them with Laban's flocks. So he set aside the ones that belonged to Laban. And it came to pass, whenever the strong, stronger livestock conceived, that Jacob placed the rods before their eyes of the livestock in the gutters that they might conceive among the rods. He's using this technique. Only with the strong goats and sheep. And when the flocks were feeble, he did not put them in. So the feebler ones were Laban's and the stronger ones were Jacob's. He's out conniving the conniver. Thus the man became exceedingly prosperous, had large flocks, female and male servants, camels and donkeys. So the point is that God is blessing Jacob and he became very prosperous through this technique. But the point is, it was really from the Lord. It was the Lord that blessed him. You know, and God does this. God will give ideas to people, right? How do people prosper in this world? There's times when God will just give you something and he'll help you be prosperous. When I was in the business world, I would pray regularly, Lord, I, I don't know what I'm doing, but if you would just bring me some clients, some good clients and pay me, I'll bless you and I'll give back to you and I'll serve you with my life. And God was just, he would do that. There were times when I would, I would be down on when things wouldn't be going well in my sales and when I was in the insurance field and, and, and then I'd pray and I'd seek the Lord and boom. So Laban tried to take advantage but God wouldn't allow him to take advantage of Jacob. So God blessed Jacob, and he would continue to bless him. And in chapter 31, you can read, you look at verse 10, and he tells the story. He's talking to his, his wives. He says, and it happened at the time when the flocks conceived that I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream. And behold, the rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked, speckled, and spotted. And the angel of God spoke to me in a dream, saying, Jacob, and he said, here I am. And he said, lift your eyes and see, now and see, all the rams which leap on the, fleck, on the flocks are streaked and speckled and spotted, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. And I am the God of Bethel. And we'll get into this next week, but Bethel's an important place to Jacob. That's where he met God. And there where you appointed the pillar and you made a vow to me. Now arise, get out of this land and return to the land of your family. That's in chapter 31 verses 10 through 12, 13. So what we see here now is through this whole chapter, it's been very carnal. It's been very much these four, five different people, six different people all. You know, you got four wives, you got Jacob, and you now you got these kids and all these things going on. Every much, pretty much everybody is just worldly. But now Jacob is starting to hear from the Lord. He's starting to soften. And you know, in our walk with God, at times, you know, there's periods of time you can go through where you're very just sort of living your life. But then, you know, when you start to settle and you start to seek the Lord and you start to be directed by God, then he starts to show you and he starts to open your eyes to things. And we'll see that he eventually will submit to the will of God. And so also should we, right? As we come in our lives to just this place to allow God to use us. God wants to use our lives. But he has to have our hearts and he has to have that yieldedness, that willingness to say, Lord, I want to do what you want me to do. Lord, what do you want of my life? How do you want me to serve you? And maybe he'll speak to you in a dream and give you something about a speckled or spotted sheep. The point is he will direct you. He says, you know, that life verse that I've shared with you so many times. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Look at the lack of understanding. Does this make sense that you take a little rod, you stick it in front of a bunch of sheep, and they turn to speckle in the spotted ones? No, he's trusting in the Lord with all his heart. He's trusting in that dream that God gave him. And he's leaning not on his own understanding because his own understanding would say, this doesn't make sense. And how many times does God not do that in the scripture? How about later on with the walls of Jericho? That conversation with Joshua and his, and his, and his generals. 
So here's the plan. We're going to walk around the city of Jericho seven times, once a day for seven days. On that seventh day, we're going to go seven times around, and the walls are going to fall down. And the generals are like, seriously? <laughs> because God told Joshua that's what's going to happen. And here God spoke and told Jacob, do this, and I will bless you. And he did it, and God blessed him. And so now he's going to be on his way back home, heading back to his family. He's going to meet someone along the way, someone he spent some time manipulating, a fellow named Esau. Remember him? His brother. And Jacob's so scared to death as he's going, he thinks Esau's going to kill him, and he's going to destroy his whole family. And Esau just wanted to bless him. Ah, I've already given you too much of the story. All right, let's pray. <laughs> Father God, we're thankful tonight for your word. We thank you that as we read this, Lord, we can so much, we can see ourselves in these passages and how we don't always just, we don't follow your lead all the time, Lord, but we we follow our own thoughts and our own understanding, our own plans. And Lord, as these also did, but yet you were sovereign over it all, Lord. You, you still produced your nation through these, these dysfunctional people. And you brought forth your son as one born out of due time, Lord, to come and and give his life for us. So Lord, we, we settle our hearts in you. We trust in you tonight. We, we pray that you speak to our hearts about these things and help us to know your way and your plan for our life. Lord, I pray for each person in this room right now, Lord, that first of all and most of all, that we have that relationship with you. And tonight, if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, You've, maybe somebody dragged you here, maybe you're, you're visiting, whatever. Jesus Christ died on that cross for your sin and he rose from the dead on the third day and he wants a relationship with you. God wants a relationship with you. And he's provided that through Christ. And he wants a vibrant relationship, an ongoing relationship. And so even for some, it might be where you're just in the place you haven't really been seeking the Lord and trusting in the Lord for his direction 